Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast, where we interview highly successful workplace wellness executives, experts, and entrepreneurs, and learn how they have found success where happiness meets business profitability. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you today Christopher Caliendo. Christopher is a composer, a guitarist, a musician, all the way. Um, he's an educator, a recording artist. I can't wait to hear all the stories uh, that you have to share about your background. But Christopher, what really has energized me in getting to know you is you are such a professional. Not only are you a musician, but you are a leader in the corporate world in banking, a vice president, and I just want to know how you brought the two together. What put you on the path to transfer your musical skills into the corporate world, and how has that worked for you? What's your background story? Well, first of all, thank you so much, Dr. Paley, for having me on. Uh, it's, it's very exciting to be here, and it's very exciting to talk on this subject because I, you look back, and, and sometimes we, we learn about each other looking back and finding out how God just moves us in these paths. I, I started out, as you know, and still am very much a musician. And there was a time in my life when I had come back from Rome and uh, working for, with John Paul II uh, as a commissioned composer in the Vatican. And our subjects were the mystic saints of the, of the Carmelite period. It was, the, it was his doctoral thesis at the University of Salamanca on San Juan de Yepes that inspired me to write for the church and for him. And so when I came back, I had uh, cultivated many relationships in Hollywood working as a film composer and uh, getting an Emmy Award in 1989 uh, for shows like Dallas, Knott's Landing, and Paradise. So I, I had made money and I was instructed by Henry Mancini. I had some great teachers. Um, and here I was faced with the concept of the one-line resume, the opportunity that Leonard Bernstein <laughs> had with West Side Story. And here I was, The Mystic Saints. It was this two-hour production spectacle commissioned by the Vatican that these four Emmy Award-winning producers and directors said, Christopher, you got a shot at this. So what I did, the, the best, worst mistake I ever made was I, I used my own money, a lot of money, to mount this on St. Peter's Square for the Jubilee year 2000. And the challenge there was we had the art crisis in the 90s, the financial crisis, PBS changed their, um, uh, their, their, their basic policy. You, you, you have to basically finance the entire master, bring it to them, and they'll distribute it as opposed to them financing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had Andrea Bocelli interested in singing the role of St. Francis of Assisi. Um, uh, we had uh, uh, Annie Lennox of the Eurythmics to sing St. Therese of Avila, and it, it was just a challenge. It did not get mounted. There was competition. They, they didn't want new spectacles written for the church. I got a little crazy. I went to Utrecht, Holland, tried to mount it there. I went back to New York City in my home, tried to mount it at St. Uh, um, uh, Peter's Cathedral, St. Patrick's Cathedral. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the point is a little bit of a breakdown, uh, a major, major uh, self-discovery. Uh, I ended up studying psychoanalysis with Nathaniel Brandon, who was the uh, assistant to Ayn Rand, the objectivist school, Ayn Rand, who wrote Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. Mm -hmm. A year and a half later, I found myself looking in a magazine in, in, in the LA Times, and there was a, uh, an advertisement for in the sales division for Manufacturers Bank. And I remember looking at that advertisement saying, what better place to learn wealth management than a bank? Wow. And I was stuck because I sold my home and, and I moved to an apartment. I really resized, really had to remind myself because uh, it, it was really quite, uh, quite a, a, an egregious moment in my life. So there are a number of soft skills that are developed and inherent in musicians, one of which is openness to feedback. Musicians mm -hmm. learn how to deal with harsh or constructive criticism early on in childhood. Mm -hmm. 
know, as you know, once the fear of selling bank product was over, my confidence just soared. So my job in the telemarketing division of Manufacturers Bank was to sell bank products to CEOs, to um, owners, founders, CFOs, C-level suite, gentlemen and women. Um, and I noticed that there are distinct advantages to musicians' experience in their training and the love of feeling a, a, a feeling of achievement is very, very strong and sauce at a very, very young age. Um, so we're, we're already familiar at a very young, a young age with the disciplines of practice, social consciousness, attention to detail, cultural adapt and adaptability. And unlike other careers whose skill sets are, are, are not truly tested until post-graduation as they enter their field professionally, um, I was able to use these skill sets and create trust with that business owner very, very quickly. Um, and, and I became a top salesman five years in a row and, and really found a way that in discovering that creative skill sets are applicable uh, in the corporate world. That was my early training and, and, and one of the major, major life changes of my life, I think. Wow. First of all, what a story. You know, first of all, I want to acknowledge and celebrate with you the power of creativity in the corporate world, right? And we'll come back to that. But I want to go back in case people may not have heard a couple of things. I want to remind people that you spoke of working for Pope John Paul. That is the Pope. Not just, you, when you said John Paul II, I want to make sure people understand we're talking about music for the Pope, uh, not to mention, um, you know, some of the other folks that you've worked with, like, you know, Mancini um, and just, I mean, th these are legends that we're talking about. And for you to have experienced the highs of that level of success in one industry and, you know, taking yourself by the bootstraps and converted yourself into the success you are today, I, I just think that's, that's amazing. But awesome. tell us more about what it takes. W what do you mean when you talk about creativity, right? Um, you you've mentioned things like openness to feedback. You've talked about musicians and their inherent focus on practice, you know, not everyone really understands the idea of practice, right? You know, musicians, it's a, it's a thing you have to like deal with every day. How do those skills contribute to creativity in your opinion? And how do those skills apply to the corporate world? Yeah. Uh, yeah well, yeah. Let's, let's say, um, let's look, let's look at it from an HR point of view. If, if your company is big enough to have an HR department, work with them in locating candidates, I would, I, would, I, would, I would hope that they would work in locating candidates with a creative background. Um, why? Or if they're small, staffing companies, right? So musicians naturally possess time management skills. They're punctual. They plan their work schedules well. Musicians must, must meet the goal of a lesson, right, for example. Managers love that. They have to be culturally adaptable. They have to embrace change, right, uh, and adapt well. So a desirable quality with an employer, especially today with the kinetic paradigm shifts in the business world, would be cultural adaptability. And musicians have a tremendous attention for detail. The mm. process of perfecting a piece of music creates a spirit of perseverance and perfection that is highly valued in the eyes of employers. I mean, I can go on. Um, musicians are naturally empathetic. Musicians are naturally patient. Um, so there are so many soft skills that, again, to the musician today, they're relatively unconscious that these skill sets can be applied to the corporate world. But Harvard Magazine in 2008 published a very interesting article that stunned me. It actually gave me some true illumination on creating, what well, I'm creating now, a, a video lesson series called Becoming. They said that more companies, owners, are hiring MFAs over MBAs hmm. because musicians are naturally entrepreneurial 
and naturally think left of center. So with the demise of corporations, Sears, the retail, Amazon.com, affecting so many businesses today, mm-hmm. corporations like in my dad's day, he was a postman supporting nine people in an apartment in Queens. Mm-hmm. He had a punch card, right? 40 years later, he knew he could have a pension and he could retire. That doesn't exist today. Yeah. Today, adaptability is going to be the most important skill set my son is going to have to learn skill sets that allow him to go from career to career. His father's a great example of that music to banking. Yeah. You know, so those are some of the skill sets I think, and there are many more that are inherent in musicians. So my goal is to make musicians conscious raised. If I had a 5% more consciousness to apply my musical skills in a corporate world to the fathomability of earning a, a greater uh, salary mm-hmm. and still be able to be do music mm-hmm. in a corporate world. That's actually looking for people like me. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That, yeah. is so, that is so powerful. Tell us a little bit about your project, Becoming. You mentioned that. Um, give us a sense of, of what that means, who, who it's for, and what it is. Well, um, it's, it's, it's basically helping high school and college students remove their uncertainty and doubt in their desire to major in music. Not just the student, but the parent. Mm. So it's an eight-step program that I've designed that teaches you how your music degree can earn you a living in the corporate world. So there's less concern that your music degree will not land you a job. Mm -hmm. No more doubt whether studying music will help you earn a living. Mm -hmm. Simply learn how your creative skills can infinitely broaden your job opportunities Mm -hmm. globally. So that's the basis of it. So it's taking those soft skill sets that we're talking about, and I'm even, I, I'm even hoping to show that the rhetoric used to shape resumes for the musician is going to ch- change mm-hmm. in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I you really know, you believe know, that because corporations, you know, there's, a, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, corporations, I think as well, uh, are are going to need to have that la- that new language um, through their HR divisions. Uh, to embrace and show. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy what creativity is doing today because unlike 10 years ago, you may recall, mm-hmm. uh, have your child listen to Mozart, he'll become a better mathematician. Apocryphal. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we were desperate then. I mean, look at the mid-90s, the uh, London journalist who wrote that book, Who Killed Classical Music? Um, mm. I, 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 Lebrecht. His name is Lebrecht, I think. Mm-hmm. Even Pavarotti. The last documentary he did, they said, are there any more Pavarotti's coming up? And he said, frankly, no. He said, the tenor today gets paid $3,000 at the Met, and the agent brings his price up to $15,000. It's all about money. And Pavarotti studied voice till his dying days. So um, anyway, we, we, we can go on and on about this, but it's, it's a fascinating subject about how the relevance of creativity is truly becoming practical now. Corporations yeah. are seeking ways of thinking differently. David P- Daniel Pink, A Whole New Mind, fantastic mm-hmm. book, yeah. Adhering to the Conceptual Age, forthcoming, a left and right brain. Now look holistically. Yeah. Now we're teaching our kids that, oh, you're left-brained, or oh, you're right-brained. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're looking at life where the left and right brain are working together holistically. That's, what's ad- that's the strength and adaptability. Those are the people who are going to survive. Wow. You know, you know what's, what's interesting is uh, you, you 100%, in my opinion, exemplify one of my favorite sayings, um, which is a leader is one who knows the way, um, has gone the way, and therefore can show the way you exemplify this, this truth, which is this, these creative skills you're talking about are transferable and desirable for corporations. In fact, corporations should be seeking them out. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you know, you're proactively creating kind of the blueprint and maybe a, even a, a roadmap for other people to, to walk in your, in your footsteps. 
Let's talk a little bit about what you do as a banker. I'm, I'm interested in your, your current work in the corporate world and, and who, um, who, whom you serve and how. Sure. Um, um, in, in a nutshell, I serve what's called the middle market in banking. These are companies that, whose annual sales range from 10 to $150 million. They can be manufacturers, wholesalers, importers. Um, and uh, the, I've noticed that um, certain industries are having a very difficult time mm -hmm. um, in, 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 in my particular field, hiring educational personnel. Um, about 38% of middle market companies, by the way, are looking for more educated workers. So the skills that have evolved requiring a higher base level of, edu of education, um, what's a good example? The auto industry, for example. You know, back in my day, you know, the technology was changing a tire has never changed, but the <laughs> engine has changed. You know, yes. my dad taught me how to tune a car. Uh, well, imagine the auto industry where you have employees who have to be educated to fix the technology and a year later it changes again and again and again um, so the cost for uh, the cost for the business owner are, are increasing in this particular area the cost for process or uh, processing whether AI or automation um, replacing human beings uh, the my business owners today face uh, an enormous amount of problems um, that I help on a consultative basis with my philosophy that you service people over compensation um, I'm a big believer that the banker, in order to stay relevant today, has to change from the 19 pro, you know, World War II, take it or leave it, to service over compensation. Mm -hmm. It's a consultative advisory approach. The banker today has changed a great deal in terms of his own education because now he has to take on the skill sets of learning an infinite amount of products, including process management. You know, how can I help this, this, this particular uh, employer uh, over my competitor? Yeah. So again, the video market, having a wide stream of consultative practices that I sense in the field can help, such as expense reduction analysis, R&D tax credit, cost segregation. There are so many different ways that business owners can help save money to the bottom line, and I'm aware of them. So mm -hmm. I don't go in looking for the loan like traditional bankers. I go in looking, oh, credit, credit card merchant, merchant costs, your fees are too expensive. Can I save you $3,000 net to the bottom line per year? I, I look for those little ways of earning trust. Mm -hmm. um, and, and follow through. And uh, I've wow. got quite a few stories of uh, where I've really helped, helped employees, uh, helped uh, business owners that are very inspiring, I think. I, I, I like your focus on trust there because that's a, a really important thing in music. And we'll, we'll come to that in a, in a minute. Um, you know, I wanted to kind of highlight something that you've kind of shared so far, which is that you actually have learned a lot from your musical side and you've brought that to your banking side. And I'm sure that there's a bi-directional thing where you've learned a lot from the corporate and banking side that could benefit you as a musician. You know, one of my favorite um, examples of this is Frederick Smith, the guy who um, mm. started FedEx. Um, many, many years ago, before FedEx, you know, became a thing, he was in a transportation industry that was inefficient and failing because it was always a point-to-point -point kind of a transportation approach. If you wanted to ship something from New York to Austin, you'd have to ship it directly. And all the processing and, sh and handling and shipping would be done on both ends. But he looked to a different industry, actually the banking industry, to find how they transport information back and forth. And he found from the banking industry that they use a hub-and-spoke methodology. 
right? Where everything gets shipped to the hub and then they, they fix all the shipping and handling and then send it back out. And that improved efficiency by like a hundred times, right? So this is the power of leaving one industry, going to another industry and borrowing the excellence that's been created there. And I, and I bet you, you have a, a bi-directional story being in both industries. What's your take on that? Oh my goodness. Um, there are so many lessons to be learned from yeah. business owners that uh, I mean are applicable to um, to whatever you do. And uh, as you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I own two music businesses online, mm-hmm. a yep. publishing business, and as well as a, a an educational business. Um, some of the things I've learned um, from business owners: um, sales is the art of listening. Mm. Um, I cannot tell you how many times my peers have gone in and just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about their bank. And, you know, when you see Paulson Manufacturing, Mm -hmm. Roy Paulson's company, for me, because I came from music and I'm naturally empathetic and I built my own businesses, I can't wait to sit and hear their story. Wow. So sales is the art of listening. Love that. When you listen to someone tell their story, you're earning trust. Always. Number two, I've learned to never stop networking, that meeting new people, research clearly indicates this, raises your acuity, how the brain functions, uh, and that the most successful businessmen I have ever met every, uh, never stop doing this. And even after they retire, we've had some guest speakers come to our Christian organization and talk about how men, when they retire, ultimately become despondent, lethargic, and even at least to suicide and addictions. But staying networked in your community very critical to brain health, to people health. Wow. And maybe another one would be um, a person is always far more than their title on the business card. Hmm. I, I, when, and even for business owners, um, learn, know your employees. I'll never forget a guy who graduated from the Claremont School, the Peter Drucker system. And he was 40 years old, probably paid 160 grand for that education. And he was talking to a room filled with 70-year-old, 60-year-old manufacturers, classic middle market men and women who all discovered religion during the recession, right? 401k plan assuaged, their real estate value dropped tremendously. And they're sitting listening to a guy saying, HR is changing, folks. HR is changing. You're going to have to learn their birthdays. You're going to have to take a deeper dive, get them gifts, know their families. And in the beginning of the conversation, these itinerant men and women were vocalizing with vitriol just mm-hmm. how upset they were. I, I don't expect this to happen. When I hire someone, I expect their shoes to be clean and they should be grateful for their job and walk out uh, you know, with their time clock punches, blah, 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 blah. Well, at the end of that hour presentation, mm-hmm. they were whistling a different tune saying, wow, times have changed. So get to know your, the people who work for you on a very deep level. If you want, to, they're, they're, they're your most important assets. Yeah. And a you lot know, of companies today are toxic, their culture is toxic, and they still have not woken up to that tune, which is unfortunate. Yeah, no, and, and in fact, as you were, I, I kind of wrote these down because boy, are these great lessons, you know, sales is the art of listening, never stop networking, and you are more than your business title. Love those. Now, let me tell you, as I was listening in my mind, I was playing this little game of every time you talk about a skill, I think about how it applies in music. Um, You are a great guitarist. You're an acoustic guitarist. In addition to, of course, that piano I see on your left there. (laughs) Um, I mean, you're a composer. Yep. all, All of that stuff. Tell us how some of these things work in music. I'll give you an example. So, Sure. When you talk about the art of listening, right? You know, I play 
um, you know, uh, sort of smooth jazz as well as you know, pop music. And if you're in a band situation, the worst thing you can do when it's your chance to give a solo is just start riffing speeds. You know, nobody understands you yet. Nobody has heard you. You haven't listened to other people yet. And therefore, you're not blending in. And if you can't tell a very simple melodic story, that's not a bunch of, you know, vomit, if you will, <laughs> um, you can't connect musically. And so I see all the parallels between the advice you've just given and music. So maybe that'll segue us into your music. Tell us about your music and what you do. Yeah, well, um, I, I gave a, um, I had created a, a motivational speech kind of seminar called Composing Success. And it all started out with the idea I had when I worked with Jackie Chan on the film. And I asked Jackie, what three things in childhood do you recall that made you who you are today? Mm-hmm. And right out of his mouth, born in Beijing, China, an acrobatic family. I watched The General, mm-hmm. the Buster Keaton silent film, fell in love with film and comedy. And then in 1973, Enter the Dragon, I saw Bruce Lee, and I just combined all three together. And I went, oh my goodness, can that <laughs> be taught? Can yeah. that be acquired? Can we? So the resonance of my, my beginnings into delving into um, sense and stem technique and the art of teaching students. If you go back into childhood, are there perennial themes that show remarkable stability over many years? Are there mm-hmm. authors who were born on a beach and the theme of waters in their books? Um, uh, so I, I got very excited about this and suddenly was often running on my own 14 week syllabus that started out with raising young people's consciousness, going back into childhood finding out what this prima materia is, the topography of their soul, the three themes or four or five that, that are truly create their joy and happiness. I don't care if it's eating gelato, loving comic books, whatever it is, we're going to find out what it is and we're going to put it together and create a musician. Mm. So I was at a junior high, a junior high school uh, giving this talk. And trying to see if I could simplify the language to young, very young people. I saw this Japanese girl sandwiched between two gentlemen. And she played tuba in the wind ensemble. So I'm giving this talk about themes and sentence stem technique. By the way, sentence stems are the way to get to the themes. Mm-hmm. So if I added 5% more, to, uh, more awareness to marketing myself, I would. Mm-hmm. So a sentence stem starts with a presumption and it ends with a proactive. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to add 5% to, more, to, to my integrity as a musician, I would. And you answer very quickly. You never dwell on this. You have mm-hmm. to answer quickly. So he went through this think tank period. And this girl did not have the confidence to come up to, to talk during the Q&A. But afterwards, she separated herself, came up to me. She goes, Mr. Kelly, Andrew, I love what you had to say about the human mind, the brain, how it works. Um, I love 19th century piano music. I love the romantic era. And I love the human mind. Wow. I said, well, let's combine them. Mm-hmm. She said, how? She literally didn't know how to make that transformational move. She needed someone to tap her. Like that, like you and I, we get a musical melody in our head and it's unadulterated, right? It's like, we know that's a good idea. Isn't that amazing? We know it's a good, uh, where does that come from? It comes from God, I really do believe. Anyway, point is, so I said, most pianists play the whole sonata. Don't communicate with the audience. Why don't you, because your your love of the human mind, dwell into the Volstein piano sonata by Beethoven and study what was going on in his life at the time and see what what happened to affect this music mm-hmm. and play just one movement, but share that story to break down the abstract nature of instrumental music. And she just, you can just see the transformation occur. Yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, but yeah. Wow. You know, when, when I listen to you and I, 
I, I can feel your passion. It's literally, it's a, it's a palpable thing. It's so powerful. Two-way street, man. Yeah, well, well, thank you. And, and I have to tell you, part of it is because I, you know, I'll tell you, um, one of my favorite musicians of all time, uh, who's just passed away, uh, his name is Prince, passed away in 2016. He was asked oh. once, you know, how he relates to music and what music is to him. And his answer was, I am music. <laughs> You know, it's not a separate thing somewhere that I look at and touch once. My body, my mind, my soul, I am music. And, and you come off that way to me. I really admire it. And, um, you know, I, I just want to celebrate that for you and with you. Now, let, let's talk about something you mentioned earlier. You said that your, your current uh, work on becoming has something to do with uncertainty. Um, you know, as we look at the corporate world, <laughs> clearly uncertainty is what we, we deal with in teams. Um, I could actually liken that to what a jazz band deals with. You know, you, you set a key and a set of rules and everybody just goes for it, but nobody knows where they're going. How do you... It's kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of cool, right? It is kind of cool. A lot of cool stuff come, come out of I like not knowing where I'm going sometimes. <laughs> exactly. How do, you, how do you bring some relief to the topic of uncertainty? Or how do you help people identify the kind of happiness at work or at play that will allow them to be successful, whatever, however they define success in their lives. Gee, I'm, 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 that's a, it's such a fascinating question. I'm going to think about, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a tangent in here because <laughs> yeah. it's going to, it's going to be, let me use this as a reference and see, see where it goes. But mm -hmm. life is filled with, this is what I learned from John, John, the, Pope John Paul II. Yeah. Okay. This is what I learned from him. Yeah. Um, life is filled with the dark nights of the soul. These mm. are periods and plateaus where we're indecisive, we're uncertain. Um, our bodies are tired, our minds are willing to go on, but the body's really exhausted, right? Yeah. These are cherishable moments in life. These are chapters where we are growing incredibly. We don't know it, but it's through trial, tribulation, and fear that we do grow incredibly. Look at that moment in my life when I, I was faced for the first time. I mean, I was a professional musician at nine playing in jazz clubs in New York, mm. getting paid. Yes. All right. I work with Manhattan Transfer. I was the chosen guitarist and performer for Bob Hope. I worked with, I'm very grateful and very fortunate to work with superstars. And I left all that behind because I had to. I was going a little nuts up here. I had a little nervous breakdown and boom, I ended up in the corporate world. And I, my biggest fear was, what if I meet a director or producer I worked in, they, they found out I was a banker. I literally had that fear. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me years of work to embrace. My wife said the best. She says, I don't look at you as a banker. I don't look at you as a musician. I look at you as you. Wow. And That's deep. <laughs> that was when I said, wait a minute. Now I'm past all those predilections and challenges and mental whatever. And now I'm finding a way to shout out the joy of creativity yeah. in business and yeah. bringing them together and helping young people because this is what you do later in life. You take what you've learned, you composite it, you find a way to make it work as an asset, and you share it to enlighten people. Um, but anyway, I, I hope that answers your question. But, but I, uh, 
fear is actually something, failure is something you embrace. You just, the masters do it. Look at Abraham Lincoln. There's a wonderful poster. I forget what the top 15 things are, but you read from top to bottom. It's like terrible disappointments. And then president of the United States. <laughs> you know, so I hope I answered your question there, uh, Dr. Pele. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, the other thing that we, we learned in Christian school was like, I, I, I was the, the one Catholic in a Protestant um, Bible study and yeah. Protestants are very big on being born again. And, and, and I always had an issue with that term because if you look at the church historically, it, it always, it always had various periods where it was born again. It was reformed. Yeah. So, and this is what I mean about what John Pope John said about, well, born again are these dark nights of the soul mm. where we are. So we've reached such a peak of intensity of this, you know, who am I? Yes. And we break through it. And it happens multiple times. It doesn't happen just once. Mm -hmm. You know, this enlightenment doesn't come once and you're a changed person in one second, in my opinion. If it does happen, God bless you, great. Yeah. But for me and for being a musician, especially because musicians, the most beautiful thing about music, it's never boring. It's like the game of chess. It's like I've always selected things that were always protein in nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can always improve. Folks were wow. eternal students. It doesn't stop at college. Wow. Anyway. You know, you know, I have to say that... Um, one of my favorite authors, his name is uh, Gary Zukav, um, wrote a book called The Seat of the Soul. And there's something he describes there. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, he describes the idea of having or, or living a life with a splintered self. And he, he sort of attributes that, you know, all the, all, a lot of the problems that we have as as individuals or as people at work to being splintered. Like, you know, uh, as you said, you, your wife says she doesn't look at you as a banker or a musician. She looks at you as you, as you, right. And it was really when you, you, you left the splinters behind and found the, the happy medium of who you truly are, that, um, that things turned around for you. I, by the way, you know this, cause we've talked, yeah. I went through the same exact arc in my life where um, oh, I struggled. Well, I struggled for years, you know, in the corporate world, not wanting to bring my music into it because I was afraid there was no place for music. Thank goodness I've discovered that I have to bring my whole self. Um, we have to bring our entire selves to the table or else we just won't be <laughs> who we're meant to be. Um, but anyway, enough about me. I want to get back to you. You are just a fascinating gentleman to me. And, and even though we're running out of time, tell us in closing who you're or, or what you're you're currently most excited about, um, what project you want, you want to share, and then how people can reach you to interact with you on that project. Oh, gee. Uh, well, it would probably, uh, I would say becoming is, is six months away from finishing. So we're a little premature in that. But mm -hmm. um, it's, it's from an educational point of view, it's the most exciting project that I've got going on right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working on my next album, which we're going to record in May called Gypsy Americano, which takes gypsy music that I've composed and adds uh, American jazz and American folk music to create its own voice. Wow. Uh, flute, guitar, cello. And we'll be doing that at the University of Arizona, Tucson with tenured faculty there. Um, I'm working on a musical called Wallace in Windsor, which is being packaged to investors on Broadway right now about the story of the stuttering king, which became very famous in um, the King's Speech, the Academy Award-winning movie from years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I finished my 14th flute sonata yesterday, and the wow. cello of the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra, my dear friend Armin Kazikian, will be here at 1 o'clock today to go over the cello concerto I just finished 
uh, with uh, for him, dedicated to him. So we're going to go over the published part and just tweak some no notational things on the cello. Mm -hmm. So, you know, life is full. I have a four and a half year old boy. I married late in life. My wife and I are best <laughs> friends of 12 years. She's Norwegian. I'm Italian. Go think, go, 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 you know, uh, two very different, uh, you know, uh, cultures. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, she has got a, a, a minimalistic nature. You see, this is one of three libraries in my house. I, mm -hmm. I'm like, I need visualization and stimulus. I need to grab <laughs> something for an immediate recall. Yeah. And, and, and she, if she had one book in the, in, in the house, it'd be the Bible. And, you know, we just need so much. So I, I need that in my life. I need a minimalistic view and her wisdom. Um, with, with our son, we just have a really beautiful balance. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more sane today than I've ever been because of my son, I think, and my, my wife. So, I mean, life is full, Dr. Pele, you know. Yes. Um, and music is uh, ever continuous. And I tell people music is the recreation of reality, you know, wow. according to our metaphysical value judgments. Now, what does that mean? That means that music is a cognitive conceptual process. People like Dr. Paley and myself hear music. To us, it's unadulterated truth. It's divine. And our job is to take the widest metaphysical abstractions, the various permutations of that melody, and then with our logic and our, our experience, we, we put those little pieces of permutations in some kind of chronicle psychological order that makes sense. And our intuition kicks in and says, I've got the piece, I see the architecture. And then what we do is we perform it for you, the audience, in, uh, as perceptual awareness. So cognitive process, metaphysical abstractions, perceptual awareness, a little academic there, but that's what music is, folks. It recreates reality according to our metaphysical value judgments. And it's an honor to be a conduit for God in that respect. Um, and, and, and the musicians that I love to play with and, and, and develop relationships with, uh, it's, it's the most blessed community in the world, in my opinion. Now, now, did you say music is a recreation of reality? Yes. Well, just so you know, one of the things I love to do is when I'm in these learning modes, because I'm actually your student right now. I need you to know that. I mean, you are just, a, just an amazing teacher. But when I'm in these learning modes, I write down. Your, oh, yeah, yeah. You are just amazing. But I write down your quotes, and you're going to see all these quotes in the in the in the in the in the notes below. But um, just the idea that music is a recreation of reality. I mean, how many books could you write on that? That's powerful. Um, I didn't think about it, but uh, I mean, I've been thinking, but uh, thank you for letting me think about it. So you've raised my consciousness. Thank goodness. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, but that's I like what it is. No, I, I, I'll... <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally. I, I think music. I was going to tell you a story. Um, the, uh, yeah. And I, go this ahead. Is, this has worked so effectively in concert for me. I visited my Aunt Teresa from Naples, Italy. I, she, was, she lives here in Calabasas, California. And when I went into her house, she was at the end of the hallway gazing into a handheld mirror in the bathroom, right? So right away, and she had a piano in the living room, and right away I heard this andante tango. And I, and I knew right away what, what the music was about. It was about my aunt, who's, who was 88 at the time, yeah. gazing at the aging process. So dom parida Maria Vera mi, that typical abanera beat, one of the ancestral dance forms of the tango. Marada Maria Vera and she's from Naples, Italy, so it's a Neapolitan theme. And the B section was happiness derived from her memory of being younger, and then the recapitulation, a prime. We ha we go back to the sadness of my first person feelings about how 
how sad I am that some people as they age, you know, can only be filled with, they're, they're missing them. Their void can only be filled with memory. They can't mm. be replaced. Mm. But when I tell that story in concert, it breaks down the abstract nature of new instrumental music for people. And there it just, they tune in. Yeah. And I get so many compliments. So that's a very important process is that we're authors. We recreate our stories through music. Wow. And if we tell them to the audience before we play the music, the reaction is going to be much stronger. Wow. You know, I, I, can, I, I can say this, that I agree with you so much. I just, it's like, <laughs> first of all, let me say this. Yeah. For people out there who are not musicians, I don't want you to feel left out because this yeah. appreciation of music and the ability to use music as a true force in your life is not only for people who make music. It's also for people who listen to it. I'll give you a quick story of my own. Um, you know, when I was raised just as a small child, uh, three, four years old in the, the Biafran civil war, which is a war that was happening in Nigeria in the sixties. Um, you know, millions of people are dying. Uh, you know, we had no food. We were afraid every day of bombs falling on us. And, you know, we had no food, yet my mother did the most amazing thing. She would constantly sing to us. And, you know, I felt these goosebumps when you were singing just now. You know, you were doing the, I can't do the Italian thing you were doing. But she was singing in African, um, in, in uh, my tribe was called or is called Igbo. She was singing in Igbo about food. You know, food. We had no food, but somehow the singing made us feel full enough to survive and it brought happiness and that was where i learned that that you have to first seek happiness before you hope for success you can't start with i gotta be rich then it somehow transfers backwards to happiness you have to actually be grounded in some kind of happiness so when you share your stories oh my god i just the, the whole room is fulfilled with music for me but i just want to make the point that it's not only those of us who make music that can benefit from this right Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, because, you know, there's a, there's a typecast um, definition that music is universal language, you know, and I, Leonard Bernstein, his lectures at Harvard had a different opinion on that, but most people agree that music, you know, you look at Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, it literally has broken every cultural boundary and yeah. stands for the voice of liberty, right? So, well, from that definition alone, its application yeah, is yeah. endless, is infinitesimal. And it yeah. takes people like yourself to raise that to consciousness, to, to, and I think on my side of the fence, I'm, I'm trying to raise that consciousness into the corporate world. But to the extent now of teaching the young people, hey, look what's available to you. Absolutely. Look at the skill sets you're learning that you're, you may be unaware of. Yeah. You're highly empathetic. You have attention to detail. You're, you're naturally entrepreneurial. You think left of center. Do you know how valuable those assets are? Yeah, yeah. You know, and there are plenty, of, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who have the voice of reason that have, like you, taken music and shifted the access and attached itself to some, you know, manufacturing some product. Yep. Uh, I know for myself, when I meet salespeople, I say, get a piece of paper and write down on it. What are my differentiators? Mm. So for me, my mother was Bolognese. So I cooked, I paid off my student loans in Boston by being a personal chef with wow. my mother's recipes. Wow. So I became an, I, so I, I have a, a little, you know, and a PDF of recipes that I send out as a touch to prospects. Wow. The the culinary banker. So you're combining food and corporate world or music. Music, yep. And the corporate world. But you got, you develop this differentiator. And again, these differentiators start in childhood. Show yep. remarkable perennial stability over all these years. They're powerful assets, differentiators. Wow. Christopher, yeah. 
What is the best place for people to find you, meet you, connect with you? I know that you have a website, uh, ChristopherCaliendo.com. Tell us about that. And if that's the only place, then you know, we can reiterate that. But where yeah, can that's people a good find place. you? That's a good place. Um, it, it's a brand new site. Uh, and I have to, I'm going to tout my, my dear friend Jean-Pierre Fallou, who worked directly under Bill Gates for 38 years. Wow. And very successful career as a Microsoft engineer. And three other Microsoft engineers have joined him to create ColinaCorp.com, which is hopefully going to be the go-to. Check this out. Colina Corp are four Microsoft engineers, worked uh-huh. under Bill Gates directly, retired, and love the A in STEM. The STEAM, A standing for arts. Yes, yes. And this will be the go-to to access creative content to teach K-1 through K-12 the power of creativity mm-hmm. as well as the corporate world. So I'm supplying content where people can, in the future, download my content. And uh, uh, these are lesson plans, et cetera, creative content to be applied to the corporate world, to teach corporations how creativity can work with the corporate world in development. Mm-hmm. But certainly ChristopherKellinger.com would be the best place right now and check out the new site. It's, um, John did a fantastic job. It was, yeah, no, working it, with him was like talking to you. It was, it was just fluid, you know. <laughs> it was you know, telepathic. It, <laughs> it, actually, it's a beautiful site. First of all, I love that picture of you with your, your acoustic guitar. Uh, I know all the classical beauty that can come from that. Um, I also see some of the, um, you know, the sheet music and the, the for me, complicated, because by the way, I don't read music. I'm more of a, I play by ear and sight. Neither did George Benson, yeah. whom you have good looks of. <laughs> well, thank you. I, George Benson is my absolute, like, number one music. Breezing, hero. man. Yes, Breezing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. So, you know, we're going to have to schedule a session just so we can do music, right? <laughs> yes, I'd love to. All right. Pull out my 1969 Gretsch Viking with humbuck and pickups gold plate. Oh my gosh. Oh, I can't I can't wait. Anyway. It's a beautiful piece, man. Yeah. Christopher, you are such a joy. Thank you so much for being my teacher on this call and, and my friend. You are you're an amazing person to learn from. And I hope everyone can go to ChristopherCaliendo.com and, and connect with you. Thank you, Dr. Pele. It's been a rich pleasure. And I'm going to be in touch because I'm going to pick your brain for it. That <laughs> brain of yours <laughs> All right. as well. All right. Take care now, okay? Ciao. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpele.com. And remember, get happy first and success will follow.